Good morning. The scripture reading for today is found in Genesis 21st chapter, verse 1 through 21. If you'd like to follow along, it's printed in your bulletins. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly, because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early in the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down nearby. About a bow shot away, she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. All right. How about we start off with prayer? Let's pray and ask God to help us in this time. God, we look to you. Uh, We know that the real challenge of this time is not just mentally understanding facts and figures and words, but spiritually deep in our hearts to understand your word for us, our lives, and for this world. So we need your Holy Spirit. We need you, God, to come and open our minds and our hearts in a way that only you can to impact us, to change us, to open our eyes to see you, to see you as you are. So we give ourselves to you in this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
Well, we've been experiencing a little bit of a baby boom here at Grace Meridian Hill. If you've been working in our nursery as a member or a volunteer, then you have noticed a slow trickle of new, fresh babies. And we're expecting more. I think the projection, sounds like a weather forecast, uh, is about six or seven more in the coming months, um, nearly tripling our uh, baby count in the last year. It's a joy. Births of babies are joyous occasions. New life entering into the world, blessing a family, blessing a church community. And especially recently, it's been fun for Paula and me to visit some of these families, uh, dear friends, people in our church that are having children, whether they're first or they're second or third. And just that joy of meeting a child for the first time, whether in the hospital or at the home, having the opportunity to hold him or her gaze at their face, kind of start guessing to see whether they look more like mom or more like dad, see a little bit of their temperament, talk with the parents about the labor and delivery and those wild experiences that are part of the process, hearing about the first few days and weeks. And it's just a fun, joyful time, and especially when the parents have been waiting for a child for a long, long time. And this is exactly Abraham and Sarah's case. New parents, the joy of finally having their baby boy, but the added joy and pleasure of receiving this from God after having waited a long, long time, 25 years to be exact. So you can imagine the joy. You can hear this mix of of gratitude and relief in Sarah's words. We see it in verse 6. God has brought me laughter. Can't hold it in. The joy is just bubbling over. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? And not only a joy for them, but Abraham and Sarah knew that this was a celebration indeed for the whole world. Adding to their personal excitement was the understanding that this was actually a big step in the rolling out of God's foretold promise that through Abraham, God would bless not just him and his family, but all the families of the world, all peoples, all ethnic groups, all nations, everyone, ultimately fulfilled by Abraham's ultimate descendant, His ultimate promised son, Jesus Christ. A celebration not just for them, but for the whole world. It's a joy, but also, as we know, the entrance of a baby can be a complicated thing. Add some extra, well, changes in life, the family situation, where people are, and even relationships. Adjustments need to be made. Relationships change. Sometimes it introduces family drama. Sometimes tension. And this was no less the case for Abraham and his family. And I want to look at how. Just briefly, we're going to look at three different ways in which the entrance of this baby affected three different characters in this story. And how it affected them. And a couple lessons that we can learn from each of them. We're going to look first at Sarah's bitterness. Then Abraham's distress. And then thirdly, Ishmael's desperation. Sarah's bitterness, Abraham's distress, and then Ishmael's desperation. First, Sarah's bitterness. We're told 
in verse 8 that when Isaac was weaned, which would have happened at about year three in that day, in that time, Abraham held a great feast to commemorate the occasion. Paula and I in the last year have had a lot of fun uh, celebrating a few traditional Korean celebrations for Elena, marking her 100th day and her first year in Korean. That's called the Baegyul celebration and also the Dol celebration, just literally meaning 100 days. And then this great one-year celebration, it goes back hundreds, maybe even thousands of years in Korean culture. And you see a similar thing here where ancient cultures would practice this marking out of the meaning of a big milestone of age, even at a young age. Why? Because at that time, children were very vulnerable to disease, to other things. And to actually reach 100 days, one year, the age of weaning was a big deal. So Abraham's family, they throw a party. They're celebrating the grace of God in their lives through Isaac But at the party, something really ticks her off. She noticed that. Verse 9, But Sarah saw the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham. He was mocking. Mocking. This, of course, is a reference to Ishmael, whose story we looked at in Genesis 16. Abraham, getting impatient with God and the timing of his promises, decided to take matters into his own hands. Rather than waiting for God to supply Sarah and to bless, miraculously bless Abraham and Sarah with a child of their own, Abraham decided to turn to one of Sarah's maidservants and have her serve as a concubine, a surrogate mother. This was a very common, legal, socially accepted practice. But in the Bible, it's very clear that in in this instance, it was frowned upon because it was motivated by a lack of trust in God. In God and His timing. Ishmael, born to Hagar, Sarah's maidservant in Abraham, now is about 16 or 17 years old. And he's mocking this great celebration. He's showing scorn for Isaac, this newborn baby. For Sarah, ultimately, scorn for God and his provision. Maybe he was annoyed at all the hype and all the happiness around this little twerp of a baby. Maybe he saw it that way. Maybe he was angry that something so small, something so weak, would take the inheritance that was rightfully mine as the oldest son in this household. Could it have been that? We do know this, however, that we're told in the book of Galatians that Isaac was being persecuted by Ishmael, a word that not only suggests that Ishmael was getting physical, but maybe even possibly violent with little Isaac. And so God in verse 12 says to Abraham, Sarah's right, the two can't coexist. Hagar and Ishmael need to depart for the protection of Isaac, the promised child. God doesn't agree with all of Sarah's motives in her heart, but he does agree with the necessity of protecting this new child. You see, Sarah is protecting her baby boy from his older half-brother Ishmael, but here's the problem. She's also deeply bitter and resentful. Bitter towards Hagar, 
We're told again in Genesis 16 that when Hagar became pregnant with Abraham's child, she flaunted it before Sarah, who was struggling with infertility. She was rubbing it in, in an unjust and unkind sort of way. Sarah has been harboring resentment now towards Hagar for over 16 years. And it didn't take much for it just to erupt all over again, just like all of this happened yesterday. You can hear it in the intensity of her reaction. She is not happy that Hagar is still around. She is not happy that her child is now causing distress for her kid just like his mother caused for her. Some of us feel this way. Some of us have deep-seated bitterness that maybe is paralyzing you today. Maybe it doesn't take much to make it erupt all over again. Anger towards another person. Maybe it's under the surface, but maybe it really is there. You can hear the scorn in her words in verse 10. She said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son. For that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son, Isaac. You hear her demeaning Hagar's social class, her social standing. She even depersonalizes both of them. She doesn't even use their names. They're just those people over there, that one and this one. That's hurting me and my child and making my life difficult. Ishmael's mocking ran very deep for Sarah. And I wonder also if part of it was because of the foolishness of what appeared what in her appearance for all these years in trying for children, in looking after the promise of God to be fulfilled, and then now a 90-year-old woman nursing a newborn baby. Think of that. An unusual, awkward, you might even call foolish sight. Was it that also that Ishmael was laughing at? I wonder, I wonder if this is part of what's going on in Sarah's heart, this complaint. I'm just tired of looking weak and foolish. I'm just tired of being in this vulnerable state. And maybe some of us feel that way as well. Do we understand as Sarah was struggling to understand that being an instrument of God's blessing sometimes means looking a little foolish. Sometimes it means looking a little weak. Whether if it's in trying to build bridges and build relationships with the kids in our neighborhood as we've been trying to do at our summer Bible club, trying to get before them and do whatever it takes to disarm them and have a good time with them. I've said it a couple of times here before already. Look, I'm not naturally, you know, the person that's really gifted at doing kids ministry and connecting with kids. And so literally every time I'm going up there to do things, I am having to give myself a pep talk. You can do this out of love for the kids. Don't care what you look like, what you sound like. Don't care what people are thinking about you, what you think about yourself. But it's hard for the sake of love to dare to look a little foolish in order to be a blessing to another person. 
Or maybe it's in your vocational decision that some people just don't believe was a smart move. Maybe you've decided to alter your career in order to spend more time with people in the neighborhood or maybe your own kids and your colleagues look at you and your decision as being foolish. Sometimes being an instrument of God's blessing means looking a little foolish. Kind of like the God of the universe deciding to come one day. Not in grandeur and glory, but rather in human flesh. And not at the top of society, but born to a poor and unknown young lady. Teenage mom. Not at the top of society, but in a working class family. Not with anything of him that was very particularly attractive or impressive. Jesus, who walked this life more or less homeless, an itinerant preacher, going from place to place, living a life of hardship and suffering, nothing like you would expect the Savior of the world to be. Utterly weak, utterly foolish, especially when in the moment when He was purchasing salvation for all people, a way for sinners to know the God of the universe, when He died on a cross in shame. Nothing strong about it at all. Nothing impressive about it at all. Weak, foolish, ugly, despicable, forgettable. And yet in it, the power of God for forgiveness. In it, the life of God for those who are dying. In it, the wisdom of God, the only way that man could be reconciled with God and be counted as righteous in his sight, fully loved and accepted. The weakness of Jesus that actually was the strength of the gospel, the foolishness of him that actually was the wisdom of God. If that's the way it was for him, if you're in relationship with him, and you're trying to carry Him and His life to other people in all parts of life, why would it be any different for us, for you, to bear a little bit of that foolishness? It was tough. Tough for Sarah. Tough for us. Secondly, and briefly, we see Abraham's distress. His distress. Abraham was conflicted and torn up about the situation. We're told in verse 11 that the matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. He knew he had to send out Ishmael and Hagar from his household, and it hurt him badly. Why? First of all, obviously, Abraham loved his boy Ishmael. The normal affection of a father after 15, 16, 17 years, he had real love a real bond with this boy, which is why God comforted Abraham in verse 13, telling him, don't worry, I'll take care of him. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also because he's your offspring. He's going to be all right. I'll watch out for him. But he was also distressed, and maybe more importantly, because Abraham knew he had finally had to let go of his backup plan. His backup plan when it became hard for him to believe the impossible. 
Remember, Ishmael was born out of the fear of Abraham and Sarah that God would not come through. So, hey, let's go ahead and try to manufacture ourselves and expedite God's timetable, whatever future blessings we feel like ought to come our way. We all have backup plans that keep us from fully trusting in God, don't we? Things that we go to when the going gets rough or maybe when our vision of what God is doing gets cloudy or when we start to doubt that He really is for us and for our good, things that we fall back on. Maybe It might be the backup plan of just working harder and making life work for you, recommitting yourself to more self-striving and more effort, maybe more planning. Maybe it's turning to other people. Maybe it's scheming. Maybe you lie your way through life whenever the going gets tough. Maybe you become a manipulator of relationships, whatever it might be, the way in which we turn to these different things that we believe are going to help us when we think God isn't coming through. Here's Abraham having to say no more. Letting go of that in case, that break glass in case of emergency boy of his Ishmael and flinging wide open the door to Isaac to say it's God's promise, his gift, his provision and nothing else. It's a radical kind of faith, a fully surrendered kind of faith. What does that look like in your life? What is that thing, that backup plan that you might be hanging on to that's keeping you from a fuller, deeper trust in God, including if you're just starting a relationship with God? Maybe this thing in your life where it's just hard for you to let go of building up your own perfect record of morality and righteousness and believing that you're just good enough for God to accept you on your own terms. Maybe the big backup plan is you. That, okay, maybe a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of religion is a good thing. But when all else fails, I'm a pretty good person. And so God is going to be okay with me. Starting a new relationship with God in the gospel of Jesus Christ means letting go of that view of things, starting to believe that there's nothing that I can do to earn my way into God's pleasure and delight, to purchase or to bargain with Him for His blessing. There's nothing I can do. It has to be His gift or it's nothing else. It has to be by His grace or it's nothing else. Maybe for you, letting go of the backup plan of being your own Savior and bringing your own record to be accepted by God on your own terms. What does that look like for you? It distressed Abraham to have to go through this process of dying to Ishmael and living again to Isaac. More than that, living again to the new Isaac, the perfect Isaac, Jesus, his Savior, our Savior. Lastly, Thirdly and lastly, Ishmael's desperation. One of the things that has most surprised me as a father, even from the earliest days of Elena's uh, infancy, was uh, the ways in which my ears can be fine-tuned to almost ultrasonic frequencies to detect and hear her every squeak and cry. 
Uh, you know, and, and not always accurately so. How many times have Paula and I been sitting there in the living room with Elena sleeping upstairs and we'll say, shh, 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 yeah, push the mute button, hold on a second. I think I heard something. Oh, it was nothing. Or when we're talking and hanging out, like, oh, what was that? What was that noise? Is Elena awake? Is she in trouble? Oh, it was just the kids outside screaming and playing. Or, oh, hey, what was that sound? What was it? Did you hear something? Oh, it was just the AC, just rumbling upstairs. The way in which even us as human parents have our ears so tuned to the cry of our child, so sensitized, so attentive to the voice of our little one. Do you understand, friends, that God offers to be a heavenly father to you that is just like that and more? Hagar and Ishmael are sent off into the wilderness. We see that in verse 14 and following. We're told in verse 15 that they run out of food and water. And now they're going to die of starvation. She puts the boy, seats him under one of the bushes, and because she just can't bear the thought of watching her child starve, to death, she goes off and sits down nearby. We're told about a bow shot away because she says, I just can't watch the boy die. And as she sits there nearby, she begins just to sob, as any mother would sob. It's a terribly sad, terribly tragic scene. And then we see in verse 17 the most amazing words God heard the boy. And I say amazing because you remember Hagar and Ishmael have shown really no regard for the grace of God that is flowing through Abraham's family. Don't show any genuine faith in Abraham's God. And by the end of the story, we see them moving in a totally different direction spiritually as Hagar steps up her boy with an Egyptian wife. Here the issue is not racial, it is not ethnic, it is spiritual, where everything in this part of the Old Testament in Egypt represents turning away from God and turning to the gods of the nations. Amazing, God's ears turn to Hagar and Ishmael because they've shown every reason why he should have no concern for them whatsoever. But God is concerned about them. And in fact, he even promises to go one step further, not just to preserve their life, but to bless Ishmael. When the angel comes... He asks, what is the matter, Hagar? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And of course, if you remember from Genesis 16, even the name Ishmael itself means God hears. God explained, name him that because the Lord has heard of your Misery. Friends, God hears you. God hears your 
audible cry of anger, of pain, of frustration, of sorrow, of distress. God hears your unspoken, inaudible cries, the little murmurings of our hearts. And He cares. Because His ears are fine-tuned to the cries of His people. Maybe you today feel like you, like Hagar and Ishmael, are out in the wilderness. Maybe life isn't working out like you expected it to. Maybe you just feel blocked in one of the key plans that you have in life. Maybe you're experiencing day-to-day frustration. Maybe you thought life in Washington, D.C., whether if you're a new resident here or a long-time resident, was just never supposed to be like this. A city that supposedly invested with so much promise, so much hope, so much power, and yet here you are. And maybe you feel like a nobody and a nothing. Maybe you feel like you're in the wilderness, and maybe you today literally are without food and drink, and you're not sure how you're going to make ends meet. Maybe that's your story as well. Hitting close to home. God hears you. God hears you. God hears you. He has not forgotten you. He has not abandoned you. Even if you are someone that you feel like you are actually opposed to God, you're not sure you want to have anything to do with Him, you are resisting different aspects of what you're hearing God is all about, not unlike Hagar and Ishmael, even for you, God hears you is what this passage tells us. Even when you're pushing away from God and giving Him the finger, He hears you. He's compassionate towards you. Maybe that just might loosen your resistance and melt your heart to know that as opposed as you are to Him, He's coming after you with love and compassion and and care. Do you know a God like that? Is that the God right now that you're resisting? God, that tender-hearted towards you. And if He's that way to people that are resistant towards Him, that are opposed to Him, how much more those of you who through Jesus know that you are a son and daughter of the God of the Gospel? How much more is the one who is your father attuned to your cry? Psalm 22 says this, You who fear the Lord, praise Him. For He has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden His face from Him, but He has heard when He cried for help. He has not despised or disdained the cries of your heart. Sometimes I think we don't bring our pains before God because we think it's beneath Him or we think He doesn't care, or we think it's too stupid, or again, we feel like, I don't want to feel foolish that I could care about these things, or I ought to be tougher than for this thing to bug me, even though it really does. God doesn't disdain your cries. Why do you? Why do you? Psalm 31, in my alarm, 
I said, I am cut off from your sight. Yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. You see, in our fear and our alarm, when things are tough, we cry out to God, I'm cut off from your sight. I don't think you see me. I don't think you know me. I don't think you care. I think you've abandoned me. I think you're far away. But God hears our cry for mercy. And when this happens in our lives, friends, don't you see how this transformation happens? Doesn't it start to open our ears to the people around us? When you start to know a God who has heard you, doesn't it teach you to also then, out of love and like mercy and care and kindness and compassion, even towards those who you feel are opposed to you, that you hear them and their cry too? Maybe in the community, to have your antenna, antenna way up to the hurts of others, where you're reading it even on people's faces, and you can tell they're going through something, and the compassion of this God moves you to hear or to invite them to share that you might hear. Or maybe people in the neighborhood where you're freshly sensitized to the cries of the oppressed and people that just don't have the kind of leverage and access that perhaps some others might to be able to make life work as easily kids in the neighborhood growing up in broken homes living day by day in fear in the very hallways that they're living in because they're not sure what kind of violence might erupt kids that are learning how to be smart about where to tiptoe and which hallways to go down and who to talk to and at what time of the day and when to go to mom and dad and when not to kids that are getting smart and wise in ways that they shouldn't not at that age Losing their innocence, not able to play freely, not able to know God freely. Different parts of the realities of our neighbors' lives. Or people that are spiritually desolate, afflicted. People that feel like maybe I have everything materially, but in my heart there's something missing, something empty. Maybe you're here today because you feel that way yourself. For you to have a sensitive ear turned towards people, not being deceived by outward put-togetherness, but to be able to hear with gospel sonic ears right through to the person's heart, to hear their afflictions emotionally, spiritually, their need for the grace of God, your need for the grace of God. If not outwardly, then most certainly inwardly. The healing of God, the forgiveness of God, the freedom of God. You have a God with big ears. A God who hears. A God who loves and cares for us in our distress as He calls us to let go of those backup plans. A God who knows our fears of looking foolish and being weak. God who offers us a rich inheritance in Christ. God who walks with us in the details of life. This is the God of Abraham. This is a God that is offered to you. Let's pray together. God, we look to you as a God that's full of wisdom, that knows exactly what we need. And so we do pray that 
what was spoken to us from your word, that something here would pierce our hearts and stir us and open our eyes, just like you opened the eyes of Hagar to something that was right in front of her, this well of water, but that she did not see supernaturally open our eyes to see some aspect of who you are, your character, your provision for us in Jesus that maybe has been right in front of us all this time and yet we didn't see it. Now help us to see it, to see you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing a song, an old hymn that invites us to bring our needs, our cries, our distress, all of our broken selves before God, and uh, to know that He hears us, He cares about us. Let's stand together and let's sing. Yeah.